0: Glad to be here today. My name is Steve Weaver, and I was part of the leadership uh, team here with Rick and Ron a number of years ago, and um, I've been graciously asked to come back and speak. Now, I was supposed to be here last Sunday, but I wasn't feeling very well on Sunday morning, and I called John Stroud and said, hey, John, I don't know if you'd appreciate me bringing all my germs into your place. So he uh, conferred with the powers that be and decided that it would not be a good idea and uh, decided to push me off till this week. So I am glad to be here, and I'm glad to just... It's always nice to be home at Mosaic. It just feels like home when I come here. There's so many familiar faces, and some new faces, too. Uh, We're studying through the book of Galatians, and today we're going to tackle chapter 6 and finish that study. But before we jump into chapter 6 of Galatians, I stumbled upon a verse this week that just has been holding me. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. For there is born for you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Anybody ever heard that verse before? I mean, that is like the essence of Christmas. For there is born for you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Any honest investigation or inquiry, needs to answer the questions, who, what, where, when, and why. I mean, those are really what get us to the truth, right? And this one sentence says, who, Christ the Lord, what, a Savior was born, where, it took place in the city of David, and when, today. So this is a message directly from God through an angel to shepherds and to the world and to us today. And it still remains true that unto us has been born a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. In light of our circumstances, in light of our pandemic, in light of our crises of the day, that statement remains true. One thing that if you'll notice is absent is the question, why, is not addressed. Maybe implied, but it's not specifically addressed. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But the question is, why? And so I'm going to put that one aside on the shelf. Just hold on to it. We're going to come back to that near the end of the service. But I want you to be contemplating why that, why that sentence, why that series of historical events is significant. Because in the end, why is really the crux of it. Okay? So if you'll turn with me, I think Galatians 6 begins to unpack a little bit of that why. And so if you'll join with me, um, maybe I'll even jump back a little bit. In, in uh, Galatians chapter 5... The central theme of Galatians is that there is in fact, freedom in Christ, keeping in mind prior to this teaching, the law Israel was underneath the law, and the the law had all these rules and regulations that needed to be followed and now all of a sudden there's this message that there is freedom, but the freedom is not found in the law but in fact in christ and so that 's kind of a central theme that runs throughout Galatians, and in the very first verse of chapter of chapter one is for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is warning us or not warning us, but telling us there is freedom and it happens in Christ. Uh, a little further along in verse six it's still chapter five there. for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a pretty powerful statement. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a pretty powerful theme. A little bit further down, verse 13, still in chapter 5, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But then here comes the warning, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. There's that theme of love again. And so there's freedom in Christ, but don't get crazy with it. Doesn't mean you can do anything. It just means that there's freedom there. And, don't, and, and keep in mind that love needs to be a central theme. In fact, it is the only thing that counts, is what we were just told. So we've got freedom, we've got Christ, and we've got this idea that love is kind of where that happens. And so, and then verse 14 says, The the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, reiterating the theme that if we want to experience freedom, it happens in love and it happens in Christ. All right, let's turn the page now and jump into chapter 6. Chapter 6 is where we wanted to be here today. The very end of chapter 5, we are given the sinful nature and a whole bunch of attributes of what that looks like, which you can read on your own. And then we're also told that there is the, uh, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the following. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look through that list. That's really a powerful list. It sounds like a Christmas card, the first few. Love, joy, and peace. Those are on virtually every Christmas card today. But then there's patience, and there's kindness. And there's goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Those are really good qualities. Are those not, in fact, the kind of ways, the, the kind of things we would like to receive treatment to us? Anybody think that that would be a good idea to treat people that way? Anybody? Anybody? How many people do you encounter that, in fact, treat you that way? Well, maybe even more personal. How do you treat people? Do you, do you use patience and kindness and goodness? Uh, faithfulness, is that a part of who you are? Gentleness? Self-control? Are those things that would be descriptive of you? Easy to be harsh at those guys. But how about this guy? And so we're called and we're told that these attributes are available to us. But they are fruits of the Spirit. Okay? And so then in chapter 6, we're kind of given some, what does that look like? What would a person who is filled with the Spirit, how would they conduct themselves? And what kind of things would you expect to see from them? Because as it turns out, the fruits of the Spirit, although wonderful, we don't see a lot of them. It turns out that living in a fallen world is a lot more difficult than it seems like it should be. You know, you get the just be happy kind of idea. The problem is it's really difficult to just be happy. It's got to be grounded in something. And oftentimes our lives aren't grounded in anything that would lend itself to happiness. And so we don't experience that. We live in a fallen world. We are a selfish people. Take Eve. Eve is in the Garden of Eden. No sin exists. And even she says, wow, that fruit would be good for now. There's knowledge there for me. There's something that I don't have right now that I could have, and that fruit is the way in which I'm going to get it. So even Eve is experiencing, exhibiting selfishness. Now we so much more. Maybe the biggest problem that we as humans have is the fact that we are in fact selfish in everything that we do, which is why it's so difficult to, you know, experience all of these love, peace, joy, and patience things, because it doesn't come natural to us, because selfishness comes natural to us. We live in a world where there is selfishness, where we can see evil. It's everywhere around us. How long do you have to scroll through social media to find evil? I mean, is it one post, two posts, 12 posts, a minute, three seconds? doesn't take long. There's plenty of evidence that evil exists in the world, in case anybody is convinced otherwise. Plenty of evidence. But we we are reminded in Ephesians this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This kind of thing should be expected in our world in light of what God has told us is going on. We as Christians should be mindful that this is the world that we play in. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we work in. This is our world. And so it's not that we can change it, but we have to be responsive inside of it. And so chapter 6 starts with, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? In Matthew, Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? And he says, the, the answer to that question is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then love others as you love yourself. He's giving us a pretty direct idea, and there's a lot of love involved within what he has called his law, what the greatest commandments are. And so I'm envisioning that if we were fulfilling the law of Christ, he's talking about loving others. And love at its very core is putting the needs of somebody else in front of our own. So when we do that, when we put the the other person's need in front of our own, we are acting in a way that's loving. When we put our need in front of theirs, we are acting in, in in a mode that's selfish. And so our battle is constantly between loving others and loving self. And that battle rages on always. I'm sure you've experienced it yourselves. Carrying on in verse 3, If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Comparison, as it turns out, is not a good idea. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, a former president of ours, said, Comparison is the thief of joy. Does anybody, does that ring true with anybody? Does anybody think that that's true? I think so too. Mark Twain went even further. He said, comparison is the death of joy. And I thought to myself, you know, they're really getting at something. And I, I tend to agree with that idea that we start to compare and our joy goes in the tube. You know, it goes right down the tube. Which is why social media is such a trap because we're comparing ourselves against 7 billion other people. And lo and behold, it turns out that we're not the best. There's always somebody who's better, faster, quicker, slower, makes more, more talented. You know, (laughs) it doesn't matter what it is you're comparing. There's people who would do it better than you. And that becomes the the death of, of joy. And so we do ourselves a disservice. Paul is telling us Uh, take pride in yourself test yourself compare yourself god isn't saying be prideful in yourself he's saying the things that you do with your life you can appreciate or regret you know how many things do we do that we say you know i'm glad i did that versus how many things do we do that we come back and go oh i wish i hadn't done that and so We are to test ourselves, to compare ourselves against what God has called us to do, not against what the world is saying is popular or what is new and shiny. And so comparison is something that we should do only in relation to what God has called us to do. And then to be, uh, not to be prideful, but to be proud of what uh, what we're about. For in fact, it is God working out his plan in this world, and he's allowing us to be a part of that. It's not that we're so fantastic. It's that God is so fantastic and he's given us an ability or he's given us an idea or he's given us something that if we use it the way God has called us to, he gets the glory. And that's really where we, where we want to be living. Uh, jumping back, uh, for each one should... Well, let, me, let me finish here. If, the, if when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one, verse 4, each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Now, lest we think that we've got some contradictions here within the verse, because at first it says, carry each other's burdens, and now it says each one carry their own. I don't think we've got contradiction here. What I think we've got is a father sitting at a table and saying, each one of you is responsible for your own life. Carry it. But if you see somebody who has need, help them too. It's not, it's not an either-or. It's not that the guy who has got a heavy burden should say, it's your job to carry my load. No, that's God, God isn't telling us that. God is saying if we see somebody who is in need, help for sure. But you are each responsible for your own load. And so it's, it's important that we carry our own load. It's important that at the same time that if we see somebody who's really struggling in our sphere of influence, that we say, hey, We want to help you out. How can we do that? But keep in mind, it's not our responsibility to carry them. It's our responsibility to help them carry their load, which looks a lot more like standing beside and walking with somebody through a difficult time than it does pulling them out of that difficult time. Keeping in mind, each one of us has our own life to lead, and it's not our responsibility to lead somebody else's life. In fact, if I force my will on you and I compel you to do something, I'm actually not being loving at all because I'm, I'm taking control of your situation and I'm not called to do that. Each one of you is given a life to, to uh, lead and a, and a load to be carried. And it's, and it's your responsibility to do that. But God himself has said, I will help you if you will lean into me. So these are some of the things, restoring gently, Helping and carrying the load of somebody else. Being careful not to get caught in the sin of another. When, you know, it is easy to see somebody in sin and to act in judgment, but we're not called to do that. We're, act to, we're called to gently restore them. Not to walk away, not to ignore the fact that somebody is caught in sin, but to gently go and say, hey, what's going on? Tell me what's happening here. And How might I help you through this? And, not to be, and to be gentle in the delivery of that. And so those are the pieces of what living in the Spirit would look like. These are the kinds of things that someone who is living in the Spirit would, would want to do and would be a part of their life. Well, let's carry on then. Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who, who, who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. We're, we're leading into the idea that you can't do both. There's an either or, there's a question, there's a crossroads here at which a decision needs to be made. Do we, are we going to live according to the sinful nature, with sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, debauchery, ambitious selfishness, drunkenness, those kinds of things? Or are we going to live according to the Spirit and experience the joy and the peace, the love and the faithfulness, the gentleness? Which Which are we going to do? You have to let go of one to pursue the other. You can't Hold both and go forth uh, they begin to, to leave. they are in conflict, Paul says uh, let's see even verse chapter five here. I say, live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature for the sinful, dena- uh, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And so there's this conflict going on, and we've got to make a decision. We choose one, you automatically are not choosing the other. And no matter which way you choose, you're pushing and walking away from the other one. We can't sit, you know, a lot of times we think we can sit and no decision is is like, oh, I don't have to make that decision right now. No decision is a decision. No decision, if the question is yes or no, and you don't answer, then you've said no. When somebody texts you a question and you ignore it, what are you saying? If you wanted to say yes, you would have responded right away, right? But you don't, and so you're communicating no. Even if that isn't what you meant, that's the message that's received. And yet we, we operate that way all the time, thinking that we're getting away with something. The Scripture says God will not be mocked, and don't be deceived by the things of the world. We we are constantly deceived into thinking that we're communicating something that we're not communicating, when in fact, we are communicating something. We're just not aware of what it is. And so a choice, a crossroads, a decision, yes, a decision, no. Let us not become weary. Verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Is God establishing a plan here where we treat believers better than everybody else? No, he's saying it's be, be good to all people. But he's also saying don't neglect those that are a part of the family. How many times have you welcomed a, um, a visitor into your home and treated the visitor better than your own family? I mean, has anybody done that? I know I have. Not necessarily even intentionally, yet that it turns out that way. I'll be so polite to the visitor, and yet I'm not offering the same courtesies to my own family. God is telling us, be good to all. Don't play favorites. Don't forget the family, but don't forget others either. It it is a message of goodness that he wants to spread into the world and he's wanting to use his people to spread it. Keep in mind, those fruits were patience, which is something that we're going to spread to somebody else. Kindness is not something that we keep to ourselves. It can't be kept to ourselves. Otherwise, it's not kindness. Goodness can't be kept to ourselves. It has to be expressed or it's not really there. It doesn't really exist. Faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. Those are things that are expressed or not, but to not express them is to reject them. Okay? Are you following me on this? It's, It's one of those things that we don't want to really talk through, but we have some responsibilities if we are going to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul has said, keep in step with the Spirit. This is what this is what Christ followers should be doing. And so, again, we've, we've got to either do that or not. You know, that, again, that's the choice. Then he continues in verse 11, and he's kind of bringing us to the conclusion. See what large letters I use as I write to you by my own hand. And he's wanting to reemphasize the fact that this is important. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. There are those people who are advocating something, and even they don't follow the rules that they advocate for. And he's saying, don't be deceived by those people. Move back towards Christ because this is where the freedom lies. These other teachers are advocating for things that they themselves don't believe, they themselves don't practice. We are told in Romans to pray for our leaders, we are told that our leaders have the job of governing us and keeping us safe. And to abide by the rules that the that the that the leaders impose upon us, doesn't say we have to like the rules, doesn't say we have to agree with the rules, doesn't say the rules are correct. It says that as Christians, our responsibility is to follow those that have been placed in govern uh, in governance over us. Why? Because God says that's what a Christian would do. We can squabble, right, wrong, indifferent. We have that right. But guess what? Does the squabbling result in love, joy, peace, patience? Does it result in kindness or goodness being communicated? Faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? Does it communicate any of those things? I would say to you, no. Now, if the government over us says you have to abort your babies, that's a moral position, and God has spoken on that position. And obviously, our responsibility would be to not comply with what the government had mandated. But that's not what we're talking about here. Not at all. As Christ followers, there is freedom in Christ. And if we live inside of that freedom... And inside of Christ and follow him, we are going to experience these things that I just read to you and not be contentious about whether or not I have to wear a mask or not. I'm going to be honest with you. Who cares? Who cares about wearing a mask? All right. Then you're entitled to that. God has called us to living in the Spirit. When we begin to be contentious, we are bound. We're surrendering freedom bound to whatever it is that's important to us. When we put things more important than what Christ has called us to, they bind us. Paul is telling us there is freedom, and the freedom is in Christ, not away from Christ. Everyone in this room needs to decide where where I'm going. Am I going towards Christ and freedom? Or am I going to, towards the world and speak my mind? You have the right. It's, it's a freedom. God set two people in the Garden of Eden, and he said, stay away from that tree. And he left. He didn't ward it over them. He didn't warn them. He didn't send angels. It was their choice. They chose poorly. But fortunately, we have their example, so we don't have to choose poorly. And God has given us a lot so that we can know what's right and what's good according to Him. And We'll close this out because I had a lot more. We'll keep going. Uh, May I never boast except in the cross, our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. He's separating Himself because it's in Christ. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. What is the new creation that he's talking about? And it comes right out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We don't live for ourselves. Why? Because we've died to ourselves and surrendered to Christ should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We die and we live for a higher cause. The higher cause is Christ. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He's replaced the old self with the new self. If you've accepted Christ. If you haven't accepted Christ, that's not true. There is no new creation. You're not new. You're not living in these things. Why? Because they're spirit filled and they come as a product of the Spirit. It's not my place to judge you or anybody else. It's your place to recognize have I ever committed my life to Christ so that I can experience the, the freedom that comes in the Spirit or have I not? You decide that, not me. Verse uh, 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. The things that come out of our mouth should be the things that would come out of God's mouth because we are his ambassador. That's what an ambassador does. When we send somebody to Saudi Arabia, they speak for the United States government there. We are the ambassador for Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The people of God have access to God himself through the Spirit. The question that I posed at the top of the hour was why? For there is born for you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why? Why? Why is that significant? And First John says to us this: No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is now. Oh wait a minute! Oh, oh, let, me, let me back up. Verse. This is First John three. Verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Jesus was sent to this world to defeat what the devil had set up. We all know the world need, was in need of a savior which is what we were what the angel said to us, a savior is born who is Christ, the Lord, the savior It's why he came to this world and he came to defeat the devil's work. And so we now have a choice. Do we commit our lives to Christ and experience the freedom that is inside of that or not? I was going to read through the story of Mary because you see very clearly. We don't really have time to do that today. But you see very clearly that Mary was approached in the Christmas story by an angel, and she was deeply troubled when she was approached. And here she's a teenage girl getting a message that, oh, by the way, you know, you're going to be pregnant here shortly. And she says, how is that possible? And the angel begins to explain the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And anything is possible when, when God moves through his spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to come and to exercise the things of God, to work in the people, to give the people of God an opportunity to fight in the world, to survive in this world. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, we're told. And so we know that it is God working in us, it begins to change the circumstances of our life. And when you follow the story of Mary, I'll encourage you to go home and read that. Well, during the Christmas season, you're probably going to read it anyways, but chapter 2 of Luke begins to, for Mary, and chapter 1 of Luke, to, to say, Mary then goes and shares this message with Elizabeth, and when she enters the room, Elizabeth is also pregnant, and, and the baby leaps with joy, and God is moving inside of these two women in some backcountry area, but he's moving his plan forward. And then Mary gives a long speech, praising God and giving glory. And what you see is a life transformed by the Spirit of God. She started out troubled, deeply troubled, the Scripture says. And if you think she was deeply troubled before she knew what the angel said, Imagine being a teenage girl told that you're pregnant and it's not, you know, you're, you're not married. Your fiance is probably going to dump you. Your, your parents are going to throw you out of the house. That's not a message that would bring peace to a, a girl's soul. Yet we see this long carrying on where she's proclaiming the God of glory and the goodness. And she says, let it be as you say. Mary is a character, a unique p- person placed into the history of the, of the world. She saw Jesus, felt Jesus, experienced Jesus before Jesus even came to, to be, at least physically, for the rest of the world to see. She, of course, then saw him all the way during his living as a mother and a son would. And then we see Mary at the cross still there watching what had been foretold that he would be pierced. The question that looms is why? Why did he have to be pierced? Why is the mother Mary who was deeply troubled on the front end, I'm sure deeply troubled on the back end too. Because the sins of the world needed to be taken care of. And there was just one way for that to happen. That way was through Christ. Through the death on the cross, that took away the sins of the world, And it offers freedom, the freedom that Galatians speaks of. And then for those that accept Christ as personal Savior, they experience the indwelling of a Holy Spirit that then begins to give you the ability to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are accessed through the Spirit. Those are supernatural. I lived for about 35 years on this planet, not really caring much about what God had to say. One day... I became aware. God opened my eyes, showed me that I wasn't as terrific as I thought I was. I needed a Savior. And I committed my life to Christ. I made a conscious decision that that's the path I wanted to go. I wanted to forego the sinful nature. I haven't been perfect, and I haven't always foregone it. But I've made every attempt. I've committed my life to Christ, and he has begun to transform That was 25 years ago. He began to transform my life then. And in the early days of my acceptance of Christ, I asked a question because I had a really good spiritual mentor who said, God is indwelling you, and he's working from the inside to change who you are. And I said, how do I know that? I don't feel any different. I feel exactly like I always have. And he said, you have to trust God's word. God says that that's what's happening we have to believe that that is what's happening. Well, one day I went to a pizza hut with one of my little kids. They were this big at the time. And we had our pizza, and I said a blessing at the, you know, over the, over the pizza and went about. And we had to go, but the wages wouldn't bring the ticket. And so I was like, oh, come on, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. And so I finally get up and go to the cash register. And I said, I want to pay for my pizza, but... I can't get the waitress's attention. So they give me the ticket, I make the pay, and I leave. Driving away, and I'm several blocks away from Pizza Hut, and it occurs to me I didn't leave a tip. I thought, oh, man, I meant to leave a tip. I mean, that's it's not my right to take that tip from that young girl. It wasn't her fault that I didn't have the t-. So I turn around. And I go back in, and I find my waitress, and I said to her, I'm sorry, I paid, you know, I, I paid quickly at the register, and I forgot to leave you a tip. I want to leave you a tip. And I handed her a tip, and I walked out. And I drove away. And as I drove away, it occurred to me how unlike Steve Weaver that was. The old creation would have said, aha, I saved myself three bucks. The new creation thought, it's not my money to save. I need to make it right. And so I did. And as I drove away a second time, it occurred to me, I am being made new from inside because that's not the way I normally think. My mind had been transformed and has continued to be transformed in the 25 years since. I have the evidence. You don't know this, but I have the evidence inside me. I know who I used to be. I was the guy most likely to bring a keg to the party. That's who I was. I felt it was cheaper. We could get more beer out of the deal. That's the way I thought. I wasn't wrong, but I was mistaken. And as I began to transform my thinking, I don't care about kegs, beer, or anything anymore. But I do care about sharing the truth. And I want to share the truth. I wanted to share the truth today. I hope you heard the truth. Not me. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear the truth. God is telling us there is freedom, but it's only in Christ. That's not to say that the unbeliever doesn't experience some of these things periodically, but they can sustain it. The reason they can't sustain it is it's supernatural. And the only access to the supernatural is through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does not come upon a person until they accept Christ as a personal Savior. So I said to you earlier, to make no decision is a decision. You either have accepted Christ and you know that that's an honest event that's occurred in your life. Or you haven't. If you happen to fall in that category where you haven't made that decision... I want to encourage you because the Word is telling us there is not only do we have eternal life, but there's a lot of other benefit that goes with accepting Christ. But we do also have to deal with eternal life too. So don't neglect that as an issue. I don't have much more to to follow. Like I said, I'll skip the story on Mary, but but I, I want you to go back in and look at it yourself and see what Mary's transformation was. She went from deeply troubled to praising God. And the only difference that we know of, according to the scripture, is the spirit of God upon her. I can't attest for her, but I can attest for me, and I did. I experienced the very same thing. The old creation is now gone. The new creation puts a whole new thought process inside of me. And as I began to walk that out in life... I began to see a lot more love coming from me, a lot more joy experienced in me, a peace, not all the time, but much of the time, that surpasses all understanding. I have been kind from time to time, not always, but I make it an effort to be kind, and goodness is a part of what I want to do. When I'm trying to make a decision, goodness is the direction I'm trying to lean. It doesn't say that I always make the right decision, but that's where my mindset is. I want to be seen as faithful. And I think those that know me would say that probably is a part of who I am. I want to be gentle. That's something I'm not as good at as I could be. My wife could attest to that, I'm sure. And I want to have self-control. Because in the end, the only person I can control is me. And so it's a fruitless effort for me to try and control other people. But the good news is, I can control me. And the only reason I can is because it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, and I've accepted Christ as that. I want to close this with with prayer. I want to encourage you to ask the question, why? why is this event significant? For there is born for you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why is that significant? I told you why it's so significant to me. The question for you is, why is it significant for you? And if it is or isn't, why? But if there is anybody here who has not accepted Christ and would like to, we're not really talking about a complicated process. We're talking about saying to God, God, I recognize that it's you that I need that I do need a Savior, that I have lived sinful life and I want the forgiveness that you offer. We're going to take a time of prayer. If you are that person who wants that freedom in Christ, if you want to accept Christ, now is the time. In your own heart, sit with God. Let him see who you are. Surrender and allow him to work in and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you that you've given us your word. The only reason for you to give us your word is so that we could know what's important to you. And so as we open it and as we read it, as we try to understand these principles, we see today that there is freedom and that freedom comes from Christ. And so, Lord, we ask you that we would like that freedom and we would like to commit ourselves to you today if we've never done it before or recommit ourselves today to you lord because we know that you are the savior of the world that has come into this world we celebrate you this holiday season we worship you we invite you into our lives and we ask for your help as you change us from the inside so that the new creation will look nothing like the old creation, Lord, and so that as we are ambassadors for you, that we are actually good ambassadors. And Lord, so we ask you this now. We thank you for all that you have done and ask that you will help us to see you more clearly so that we can our, our faith and our strength in you, our belief in you can strengthen. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.